The following conversation with Bend resident Marion Davidson about her volunteer work in Mississippi during Freedom Summer 1964 originally aired on November 16, 2018 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Freedom Summer was in August of um, July and August of 1964, and uh, it was uh, it involved um, a number of uh, students, young, largely young people, not exclusively, but a lar- largely young people. Uh, who went, traveled down to Mississippi um, and caravaned down and drove alone and basically engaged in uh, a massive effort to register voters in Mississippi and opened up and ran uh, freedom schools and did a number of other things. And so Marion Davidson, who is my uh, guest here today, um, was one of those freedom singers. So, uh, no, I mean, one of the, one of the Freedom Summer uh, volunteers. Volunteers, excuse me. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah. I won't ask you to sing. Oh no, I was going to sing. <laughs> oh freedom, oh freedom. This kept the movement together. Right on. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, this has been recorded. I just want to let you know. So <laughs> maybe the- that's great. And all right, so. Um, Marianne, how long have you been in Bend? Oh, I came to Bend in 1999. Okay. So it's been uh, almost 20 years now. And um, where did you come from? How, how did you end up in Bend? Oh, it's a long story. You don't want to hear all the okay. pieces. <laughs> all right. But you did end up in Bend almost 20, you know, almost 20 years ago now. That's great. Where did you grow up? I was uh, grew up in Southern California and getting... I went east to college, finished uh, one of the Ivy League schools, and went to Oxford, Ohio for the um, orientation for the Freedom Summer. Right. And so um, so when you, you were growing up in Southern California, what was your family like? Oh, we were upper middle class. I, I went to a girls' Catholic school. We wore uniforms. And um, what else can I say about that? Right. Oh, I played tennis. Uh, <laughs> And I went to the beach in the summer. Right. Yeah. That would be a thing to do in California, for sure. Yeah, Southern California in yeah. particular. And um, so were, were your parents, would you call your parents conservative, liberal? Uh-huh. Well, how would you describe? My father was a um, kind of a Goldwater Republican. Okay. Uh, my mother was um, a, a, a careful Democrat. And... Uh, so, and politically, we had no relation to any sort of, you know, uh, uh, mm, philo- philosophy or um, they certainly were involved in, they voted. Right. Uh, and they were aware of the issues in the elections, but there was not a lot of active, there was no activism. How right. about that? Yeah, yeah. So you went away to college. What college did you go to? I went to Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. I'm actually going to be visiting that area in, oh. in early December, East Hampton, but yeah, near there. Um, all right, so so you went to went away to Smith College. I'm sure that, that your parents were probably really fine with that. 
was my mother's alma mater. <laughs> okay, there you go. So, and you were there for you graduated. Yes. And uh, so, and it was after that that you decided to go. To- no, it was during the let my senior year at Smith that the recruit the recruiters from a lot other Ivy League colleges were going around and and talking about Freedom Summer, signing people up. Uh, there was an interview process there you needed to be vetted and um, accepted uh, and i I also was organizing a book drive so when I got to Mississippi, there would be um, we had libraries in the freedom schools and there would be uh, we had a lot of donated books yeah i've read about that that there were book drives in in uh, on campuses all, all around the country actually to to make to get books to mississippi for libraries and for use right because libraries in when i was there at that later that summer uh the library in laurel where my project was was close to the black folks Right. In the community, segregated. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. So it was in the so it was in the school year of sixty three, sixty four that you you got word about you were you were right you you were uh, you heard about it and uh, you were recruited, but you also you made a decision. Well, when Rita Schwerner got up on the stage and said, "My husband and two uh, civil rights workers with him are missing." Uh, it was a whole new kind of decision that had right, to, had right. To but so yeah, but so from college, you so you went to Oxford, Ohio, and where, it was at. Uh, I can't remember the name of the college that it, it was, was at. Women's college. It was a women's college, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the other university that's in Oxford, Ohio. It no. was at the women's college. So you all congregated. You all, you all gathered in Oxford, Ohio, for training. And as I understand it, there was. There was a lot of there was things like role playing that it was sort of as, as as best as possible as I understand it the the trainers the people that were that were organizing Freedom Summer um, were training people in what to expect what to anticipate in terms of of the Klan and other you know organizations that could be that would like get right into your face and really be intimidating and really try and scare you and uh, you engaged in all of those kind well, of things more than that there there was um what do they call it non-violence training about how you deal with someone right. that's coming at you with a bat or and how to um, protect yourself at the same time not um you know be violent in in response right it was a, that Freedom Summer. Of it was not. Ju- it was. It was very well organized. At, from you know, and there are many books on this. There's one by uh, uh, a guy named Doug McAdam. Uh, it was written a little while ago. Marion is actually quoted in this book. There's a more recent book by a guy named Bruce Watson, also called Freedom Summer. I recommend both of them to people who want to learn a little bit more about what was going on there. But it, but as I understand it, Freedom Summer was very organized. It was very disciplined. You just couldn't. It wasn't just open to anybody. Oh, no. That you had to be vetted. You had to, you know, you want that they they wanted to make sure that there that there wasn't going to be uh, that there weren't going to be people that were going to like make matters worse because you were absolutely because naive. you were visitors to Mississippi. Right. Well, more than that, we were. Um, we could have co- caused a lot of difficulties to the movement that ha- was uh, fragile, but. St- but growing in the black community. And right. so, uh, you know, we, the white folks mostly, like myself, didn't have a clue uh, about the possibilities until the disappearance of the three. Right. And so, 
So you're in Oxford, Ohio. You're going through the the training, and I, from what I read, it was uh, three or four days that you were that you were all there. And then the idea was that after that, you were going to go down to Mississippi. And so while you were there, as you said, Rita Schwerner, uh, her husband Michael Schwerner, was an activist, and that she reported you, uh, that. Uh, she told you all. You said that she stood up on a table. Stage in the auditorium. On stage in the auditorium where you all were. And and to- said that her husband was missing. And that, that he there was, the, the worst was feared. Right. And so Michael Schwerner, Andrew Goodman, who had been in Oxford, Ohio, at the Freedom Summer trainings just a few days before, and um, James Cheney, who was a who lived in Mississippi, an African American who lived in Mississippi, had all gone missing, and you heard about that as you were preparing to go to Mississippi, and yet the next morning you got up and you got went. in uh, the a Volkswagen that, of some friends that I had met, and we started driving. Uh, to uh, Hattiesburg, where we had been assigned to the projects there. Did you um, do you do you remember? Do you have a sense of what was going through your your mind and your heart when when you heard that they were missing and and knowing that you were well, you had to make a decision right. whether or not you were willing to risk your life. And uh, I felt like. Um, I was that was a risk I was willing to take. What did your parents think about that? Oh, they did not like this, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and but they knew. I mean, you were not hiding any of this from them. I assume you were maybe a little bit. <laughs> I yes. I mean, I wasn't I was certainly in connection in contact with them, but they were not in any way um supportive uh, emotionally or financially of my decision. Did it? Did it? Do you recall? Did it at all cross your mind um, after hearing about this to not go? Of course, yeah. And but I felt as though the situation in Mississippi at that time was it was so horrific that it it was a cause that it was worth uh, lives. And I, I assume you taught you all. You all talked about it. You talked about it with other people. Who were planning to go down? Well, I think it was just raised. I'm not sure there was. I don't remember sitting around saying, "Well, I think I might be willing to die." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So people were actually um, what what you're telling me. I think it's people were kind of individually and eternally reflecting on all of this to to decide. And I I, I would assume that some people probably decided not, not to go. Oh, I'm sure. And Nobody would fault them for that. Absolutely not. So you drove down in a Volkswagen, a, bu- a bug? A bug. A, a bug? I think it was yeah. one old, kind of one of those drab yellow bugs. Yeah, yeah. And we started seeing signs that said, whites only. And we started seeing drinking fountains, you know, that were for black or white. Also, um... Lavato- lavatories. Right, right. Um, so here was uh, the segregated South uh, before our eyes. Had you ever been to the South before? No. N- nowhere in the South. What's called the traditionally called the no. South? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I'd been to Maryland, but I don't think that's yeah. That's not doesn't count. Well, there was there was certainly racism and segregation in Maryland, but it's not yes. quite the same as Mississippi. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a, you know, as Phil Oaks sang in one song, Mississippi, find yourself another country to be part of. Um, but it's a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of migrations from the north that are returning to Mississippi. Do you recall crossing this? What you thought when you crossed the state line? Oh, yeah, of course. There were um, whatever, uh, state highway patrol, uh, local cop. I mean, it was... It they was, were right at the state line, uh, waiting uh, waiting for you. Yes. Letting you, letting you know that they knew that you were arriving. Yes. Were you, when you, when you were driving, were you in any kind of caravan or anything? When you were, no. Or were you, just, you were just on your own? Your job was just basically to get there. Yep. And on you knew, our own in America. Right. And, and to get to Hattiesburg. And where is Hattiesburg in Mississippi? I should have looked it's this up on south. a map. It's, it's southern Mississippi. Yeah, it's, okay. it's maybe 60 miles from the Gulf Coast. Okay. And Hattiesburg was, as I've, I've read in books, I mean, it really was in the heart of the whole Freedom Summer movement in terms of, you know. Well, that was interesting because I think what was predicted by the, the SNCC um, planners was that um, – the counties that were going to be really difficult would, were more in the Delta and also um, – Farther south. In the, in the, right, above the – oh. like Hattiesburg, Laurel, Meridian. Okay. The, the Klan wasn't as active. They would be, it would be um, safer, uh-huh. in quotes. And it didn't turn out that way. Right, yeah. Uh, listeners, you are listening to The Radical Songbook. I'm your host, Michael Funky. And uh, we're listening. I'm, I'm speaking with um, Marian Davidson about her experiences in 1964 uh, at Freedom Summer in Mississippi. This is Sam Kirkland, and you're listening to the Radical Songbook on 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio, KPOV. All right, and we're back. So this is the Radical Songbook. Uh, I'm Michael Funky here in the station studio with Marianne Davidson talking about her experiences in 1964, Freedom Summer in Mississippi. So you were, um, did you know when you when you were up in Oxford, Ohio, when you were training to go down to Mississippi, uh, the decision had already been made. I, I, let me back up a little bit. A lot of people, I think for a lot of people that are, that, a lot of people know that there was voter registration going on. Voter registration was like, and it kind of has, to a certain extent, I think some of the recent history of, of Freedom Summer has helped to uh, to correct this idea. But that was one element of it. But the Freedom Schools were a whole other element of it. And, and I was happened to um, in a, in this recent book um, about Stokely Carmichael, who was uh, an activist in in a SNCC and was down in Freedom Summer, there was a, it made note of a, a release, a press release actually that the Freedom Summer people issued in August uh, toward the end of Freedom Summer, and it was noted that there were 175 Freedom School teachers. Mm. who taught over 2,000 students in 41 freedom schools in 20 different communities in in Mississippi. So did you already know in advance before you went down there that you were going to be doing freedom school as opposed to voter registration? Yeah, I mean, I I had my uh, kind of assignment. And, I mean, there really was also not just freedom schools, but then there was uh, a third um, group of volunteers that worked on community centers 
And that was initially what I worked on. Oh, really? In, okay. In, uh, so you Hattie started Square. out working on, yeah. on community centers. Okay. But the thing was, and then the Laurel Project uh, was sort of late in getting organized. So by the t- when we got to Laurel, we had to find a place where we could have an office. And there w- was a real reluctance in the uh, a black community to give us an office. It took us, uh, and so there we were, uh, kind of marooned in uh, staying in uh, the black com- houses of the black community, but we had no central gathering place. And were the community centers that were developed, were they, was, was that where the freedom schools met? Lots of times. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I, you can understand, of course, why there would be a reluctance on the part of, of black Mississippians, African Americans living in Mississippi, because it put them and their families in dangerous harm's way that they were very familiar with and and um and 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 knowing that or and from your perspective, knowing that of course you were there for a while and then you were gonna be going back home and they right. were they were gonna be left to deal with whatever. And with it, all it the, was slow in coming. We had trouble also uh having um, the, the churches in Laurel, uh, and I'm sure in other communi- communities, uh, were also reluctant. And in Laurel, uh, one of the famous uh, members of the community was Leontine Price, the great opera singer. Oh. And so she had um, provided funds for a very elegant uh, church uh, for, uh, for her family that her family attended in Laurel. And that church was m- even more reluctant to get involved initially because of the fear of it of it being a firebomb. Yeah, burned, burned yeah. to the ground, which was happening yeah. a lot. And, and, and I think 40 or 60 churches were burned yeah. in uh, Freedom Summer. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, yeah. So... Um, so yeah, I was. I, there's a. I've got a. Uh, I'm looking here in, in the Freedom Summer book by Doug McAdam that there's actually a table, uh, a chart that shows uh, how many volunteers, uh, and it's a breakdown by by gender. How many volunteers participated in things? More women were participating in the Freedom Schools than were participating in voter registration. Right. It was thought that that women, um, you know, were uh, more. Um, you know, we're at, at more risk. Also, mixing black men and white women uh, publicly uh, really riled the white folks up. Right. So um, initially, that was the case. I think probably it didn't last very long. But so you so you went down and you started you you helped to organize a community center and um, started a freedom school. And what well, was in a library that yeah. was and which later was when they burned our office uh, was turned to ashes. Wow. Yeah. So um, so what was so what was it like teaching the freedom schools? What how, uh, the kids were really excited. And, and what were you were, teaching them? Um, what I was working on was there was a really interesting group of young um, of, of black teenagers and and. We did a lot of sort of English reading um, and and talking about how language works and talking about um, sort of dialects 
And um, what can I say? Um, it, it sort of so that a lot of the, the those young uh, folks would not feel embarrassed uh, by the way you know the the southern that they talk. spoke. Yeah. 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 So a lot of it was. Um, well, that was not what I was doing, but yeah. you know, there I'm sure lots of different things going on. Yeah, and I've read some, uh, some again in the books that I've read about Freedom Summer. I've read some some remembrances and recollections of some give and take between students and stuff as they were as they were basically learning um, in some respects learning their own history. True, uh, and, and also the history of various movements um, in you know in terms of. Uh, achieving freedom. So, um, how about I have a four-minute clip of Bob Moses um, singing, uh, singing, speaking in UC Berkeley uh, in 1965, where he talks a bit about uh, Freedom Summer. Should I? Pl- I, I can play oh, that, and perfect. then we'll get back. Yeah. All right. So here's Bob Moses. Bob Moses was. He was one of the um, major actors in in SNCC uh, and was organizing in Mississippi early by him <clears throat> himself and um, he still is doing the same kind of work. He's a math teacher. <clears throat> he, right. Yeah, I mean that's kind of been his profession for for a number, uh, many years of, of his life, I mean in terms of like earning pay. And I also know. think he thinks that uh, using math to um, Get people's uh, minds active right. is really important. Right. I have a friend in um, in Minneapolis who took who teaches math for people who have trouble teaching. She teaches math to people who can then teach math to people who have trouble with math, kind of thing. And she learned. She took classes. She took. She 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 was taught by Bob Moses uh-huh. and has great respect for him, you know, and that's just long after Freedom Summer. So, all right, so we're going to play this, and so, but also I wanted to mention Bob Moses. Also, he was he was among the people because there there was, um, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about sort of the, after this that that there was uh, not everybody that was involved in SNCC and in Mississippi uh, wanted. A, a bunch of white folks to go down to Mississippi. Absolutely, there, there right. was a, it was a there was, it was a big disagreement. Right. All right. So this is Bob Moses uh, speaking to some students at University of California Berkeley in 1965. A couple of months ago, a month and a half, people marched out of the north down to Selma. The incident which triggered them off was the killing of Reverend Reed. Before Reverend Reeb was killed, a Negro was killed, Jimmy Jackson. His death and his killing didn't trigger anything off, except confusion as to how he was exactly killed. Now we've watched that phenomena time and again in the South. Before the summer project last year, we watched five Negroes murdered in two counties in Mississippi with no reaction from the country, couldn't get the news out. Then we saw that when the three civil rights workers were killed and two of them were white, that the whole country reacted, went into motion. 
Now there's a deep problem behind that. And I think that if you can begin to understand what that problem is, why you don't move when a Negro is killed the same way you move when a white person is killed, that maybe you can begin to understand this country in relation to Vietnam and the Third World, the Congo and Santo Domingo. I saw a picture in the AP release, it said, Marine captured communist rebel. Now I looked at that picture and what I saw was a little colored boy standing against a wire fence with a big, huge white Marine with a gun in his back. But what I knew was that the people in this country saw a communist rebel and that we travel in different realities and that the problem about Vietnam is how to change the reality of this country which is isolated how to switch that and that's going to be a very deep deep problem now I think that there is one chance of doing that in terms of the psychology of this and that is if you understand that you have part of the third world in this country and if you can get a mirror and look at it and if you can learn to look at the South different I mean the South has got to be a looking glass not a lightning rod you can't go down there and get rid of all of the things which make you feel that you're good and not learn something from it. You've got to learn from the South if you're going to do anything about this country in relation to Vietnam. You've got to. You've got to take the fact that the juries won't convict when people get killed to a civil rights workers and Negroes and plummet and find out what it means because it says something about a whole society which permits people to plan and execute murder. You can learn when is it that a society gets together and plans and executes and allows its members to murder and then go free. The jury won't convict. And if you learn something about that, then maybe you learn something about this country and how it plans and executes murders elsewhere in, this, in the world. KPOV is supported in part by SEIU Local 503, a union of 65,000 Oregon workers who envision a just and vibrant society where everyone is treated with dignity and respect and where everyone can provide for themselves and their families. Hi, this is Buffy St. Marie, and you're listening to the Radical Songbook on KPOV Bend. All right, we're back. So that was Bob Moses speaking in 1965 at the University of California, Berkeley, talking about a number of things, talking about U.S. imperialism, the war in Vietnam, and also weaving in, you know, putting it within the context of, of uh, the ongoing struggle for civil rights um, in our society. Um, and uh, Bob Moses, as you said, was one of the prominent leaders of, of SNCC at the time. And, and but there was a, 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 a controversy. It was it wasn't just a given that um, all of all of you white students were going to get invited down to Mississippi for the summer. Right. Right. I mean, all of us white students in um, with our with 
our college degrees and um, um, <laughs> our um, expectations of certain things uh, were going to be uh, a really difficult to absor- be absorbed in the black community. Um, and and the the movement in Mississippi before that that summer was m- almost entirely um, of black folks, and not only that, but most of the black folks in the movement were local black folks. Were indigenous to Mississippi, right. yeah, yeah. So um, there was concern, and it was I think justified that. Introducing, uh, I think the numbers sometimes a thousand of uh, of us white folk um, would would disrupt the forward motion that you had been seeing in in the deep south since the the you know ninth this well since the Freedom Riders right and but it was result the decision was made. The the feeling I think was that it it would turn the light on the um, the, the the situation in Mississippi, uh, and indeed it did. And yeah, as Bob Moses just talked about. Yeah, we. Yeah. I mean, also the union support. There was union support that was obtained. The, the um, Na- National Council of Churches was very active in in the whole uh, project. Um, and then the media uh, got involved. How long were you there? I was there a year. You were there for a whole year? Yes. Oh. Yeah. You were I, there longer than a lot of people then. Yes. I oh. felt like um, the project was still thriving. Our, our, wow. Um, Gwen uh, Simmons, our project director, is an amazing woman. Who She's one of the narrators in that um, Mississippi summer the American experience that was mm-hmm. on PBS, right? And uh, she's teaching, I think, in in uh, Gainesville, in Florida now. Um, so, and th- the community was remained organized. Um, we had things to do, um, the, and it, it, I, I finally, the reason I left, I think, was because my family was more and more concerned that I would never come back and so they would send they would send um mem- uh delegates down there to try to Oh really? Yeah. Wow, they Talk would send people to come and encourage you to leave exactly. to go to go yeah. home or go somewhere well, else. I, I didn't go home. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, no, no. I went to work for the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in in Washington DC. Oh, wow. So I got a good sh- look at uh, how our national um, government works. I want to get, uh, yeah, I want to get back to that, but I want, but I, but so you were there for a year, but, and I just, uh, listeners where I'm talking with Marion Davidson, who was in Mississippi for a year and for, during freedom summer and beyond freedom summer and beyond. Um, it was a dangerous time. It was a dangerous thing. I mean, do you, you know, you must've, there must've been many, many times when you feared for your life. Oh, I did. I mean, and I, at one point I was stopped. I'd gotten off a bus. I'd gone to a freedom school convention in the Delta, mm-hmm. and it was night. And I got off the bus, and a guy in a pickup came up to me and said, "Oh, who are you?" And I, I by that time had developed a nice Southern accent, and I kind of uh, told him I was, you know, uh, visiting family or something, and he d- didn't buy it at all, and he had 
uh, he was armed with, he was carrying a pistol, and um, I felt like this might be uh, uh, a real problem. So you were I, alone? And I said, asked him, and I admitted who I was. I said, oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> and I said, yes, and I need a dime to call my friend to come and get me. And he said, well, young lady, I hear you go, but I suggest you watch out for... <laughs> he gave you a dime? Yep. <laughs> Good work. <laughs> well, you have to be that way. Yeah. I mean, in... Um, I just can't imagine what it, what it would be like living well, in that. Well, I was of... so scared that half of my hair fell out while you were down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you were living with uh, you were staying oh, with Carrie Clayton, just an amazing woman that said, "My house is the house of the Lord, and I there's no dancing and there's no drinking, um, but civil rights I support." And she. She let us, you know, stay there for. In fact, when they burned our office down, we moved. Our we had an AB, AB Dick mimeograph machine and right. got moved to her back porch. And you <laughs> stayed with her for the whole time. You you stayed at her house the whole time you were there. When I, as, as for the whole time I was in Laurel, yes. Yeah. Okay. And so so you were in Laurel for the for the Freedom Schools. Now did the the Freedom Schools kind of shut down toward the end of Freedom Summer, what, what was c considered yeah. Freedom Summer? Well, what really happened was the real issue in Mississippi was voting. Right. And there was very little actual voting reg voter registration during Mississippi Summer because the um, white folks would not b basically allow it. Sometimes if... They they call the dogs if there's a group of black folks coming to register. Other times they would uh, use a, a literacy test that right. no one could pass. Right. Um, so very few uh, uh, were actually registered. So there was a shift to a demonstration um, for, at the Democratic Convention right. for a challenge to the Mississippi White Party. Right. So, yeah, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was, was officially organized, and delegates were sent to Atlantic City. Did you go to that? I didn't. Okay. No. How come? I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, it was too bad. And Well, most of all, it was, you know, the delegates, there was a whole delegation from right. Mississippi, and they were properly elected. This and it it was sort of their work, right? And so right. it was really an, uh, important that 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 be obvious, right? Yeah, and 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 for those who don't know, I mean, Mississippi Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was organized, and uh, as as Marianne says, I mean, there were there were official delegates that were elected to go to the Democratic Party convention in Atlantic City, where um, Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, was. Uh, Seeking the nomination to run uh, against, uh, ultimately he ran in 1964 against Barry Goldwater, your father's um, uh, candidate uh, from Arizona. Not Barry Goldwater. Um, not he, um, bu 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 um, you said Rockefeller. Oh, Rockefeller. He was oh, a okay. Rockefeller he was, oh, you're, oh, he was a Rockefeller. No, okay, right. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, at any rate. Um, so LBJ was running for re-election in, in 1964. Mississippi, the state of Mississippi, its quote-unquote official delegation was entirely white. Um, 
They didn't allow blacks into the delegation. So at, in Atlantic City, at the Democratic Party convention, there was a uh, essentially a, a confrontation. The Democratic, the Mississippi Democratic Freedom Party wanted to be seated, felt that they deserved, they were they were the true representatives of, because they weren't all black. Some of them were white, some of a the delegates. Few, two, yeah. I think there were two whites. And there was there was all kind. You could, there, this is a whole other, other story of what happened in, uh. in Atlantic City. But essentially, um, to put it bluntly, and this is an opinion, I guess, but, you know, essentially the Mississippi Democratic Freedom Party was essentially sold out by the mainstream Democrats. Lyndon Baines Johnson was really, really and worried. And Joseph Rao. And Joseph Rao, who was the Joseph, – well, Joseph Rao actually – he was the he was the uh, United Auto Workers attorney who was sent down by Walter Ruther to um, to basically um, negotiate with the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Joseph Rao actually um, got undermined by Walter Ruther, the president of the UAW. He actually stuff happened that he wasn't aware of that was happening, but. But you're right. I mean, basically, the powers that be within the framework of the Democratic Party, including Hubert Humphrey, who would, who essentially did a lot of the dirty work for LBJ and then, of course, got himself to be the vice president on the ticket. Uh, Walter Ruther, uh, Ruth, Walter Ruther from the UAW actually uh, said to Martin Luther King Jr. in a, in a motel, hotel room in Atlantic City, basically said, you know, if you can't get these Mississippi Freedom Party delegates, you know, to back off, um, the UAW funding of, of the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Martin Luther King's organization, might be in jeopardy. I mean, they basically threatened to, withhold, to blackmail uh, Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Hamer. I'm pronouncing it correctly. Hammer, yes. Hammer, Hammer. Uh, was one of the delegates from yes. Mississippi. Great, powerful Indianola. woman. Huh? She came from Indianola. Indianola, Mississippi. Great, powerful woman. She spoke from the floor of the at the Democratic Party convention in Atlantic City, and and Lyndon Baines Johnson it was, like was a, a pre meeting. At a what? It was a it was a credentials meeting. Oh, credentials you know, committee that, meeting. Yeah. Right, but it was but it was public. I mean, it was, oh, yeah. you know, and, 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 it, and it is, there. yeah, and it, and it is, uh, it has been uh, taped. But Lyndon Baines Johnson, the president of the United States, was so worried about her speaking so forcefully that he called a spot, he called a press conference while she was speaking. And by all reports of that press conference, he said nothing. He basically had the power of the presidency to call a press conference, all the press focused in on him and he talked for 15 minutes or whatever and said diddly squat basically i mean it was just all the only reason he did it was to pull attention away from her and at some and at one point but you know, i loved it because you know what i think he then engineered the voting rights act right i think he felt so guilty in his we got to give him credit for the voting right. He did. He did push through both the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Uh, courageous things for for someone to do. He acknowledged that he was for probably writing off. For yeah, right, a southerner writing. He was acknowledged. He was writing off a generation, at least a whole generation of voters. And and indeed, that was the birth of the Republican Party in uh, the South as Democrats, Dixiecrats. Uh, as they were called, uh, racist Democrats who moved into the Republican Party and abandoned the Democratic Party, and we're still living with the, um, with with that legacy, the legacy of the of of what well, happened. But there. I think also we're living with when 
1965, after the Voting Rights Act was passed, the number of registered voters in the black community went from 10% to 60%. I feel like the, the Voting Rights Act, which was gutted by the Supreme Court, um, still... By the Roberts Court, yeah. today's court, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're better, you know, look at Roy Moore, who who su- supported his opponents, right? the, the black women in, in Alabama. So you are listening to the Radical Songbook. I'm your host, Michael Funky, and I'm here with Marianne Davidson. We're talking about Freedom Summer. Marianne Davidson is a Bend resident, lived in Bend since 1999, uh, was in Freedom Summer, spent a year in Mississippi in 1964 and into 1965. It's great to have you in here, Marianne Davidson, because I'm learning so much that I, you know, I knew you were there, and I've had we've had conversations about your experience. I didn't know that you had been in, that you were in Mississippi for a year, and and that your family would send delegates to convince you to uh, to leave. Was this in Laurel, where your office was? Uh, you you said you woke up one morning to find your office burnt to the ground. Right. We woke up and someone said, called uh, the house where I was staying and said, look, look at the news. And there was a picture of our uh, office that, that we'd rented from a, a local uh, black man uh, in uh, ruins. And it had been firebombed the night before. Um, and um, l- there was no charges. There were no charges ever pressed for. Uh, or even an investigation. It was just part of the deal that, you know, if you were having an office down there doing uh, voter registration and organizing, you were s- subject to um, your office being burned. They being also- terrorized. You were subject to being terrorized. Well, that, I mean, but that's what it, I mean. I, that's right. essentially what they terror. were trying to right. do. They were trying to scare the bejesus out of you. Right. But we, we used to call them uh, rednecks and crackers and um and kind of make fun of the people that were terrorizing us. And they would bomb our cars. Uh, it, um, but we did find later on that the the man that we suspected of, of uh, firebombing our office, um, who was a, an imperial wizard of the... Uh, uh, what's his White Knights of Mississippi? He he was finally convicted of the of uh, the firebombing and the death of Vernon Damer and and ended up in jail. But that was uh, many many years later. Right. Yeah. So um, you also mentioned um, that you, you said as you said you spent a year down there. So you said you spent Christmas in jail. Right. It was uh, part of. Uh, what happened was we um, a group of integrated civil rights workers uh, from the community and, and some of the volunteers uh, went to the local restaurant. This is before the uh, Civil Rights Act had been passed and and asked to be served. Uh, the re- the restaurant refused and said if we didn't leave, they would call the police. We didn't leave. They they called the police. And off we went to the local jail. Uh, they segregated us, the white folks, the white women in one place, the white men in another place, the black women in one place, and the black men in another. There were about 20 of us in jail. And Drew Pearson, the, the national syndicated columnist, uh, went for, went, uh, provided bail for the lo- local folks. 
Um, and the charges were later removed to federal court and uh, and dismissed. And and there are examples of that. What he did, there are examples of that uh, from other people as well. Who um, people who had money, who were able to help to help finance and help get people out of jail. There were people that um, certainly Pete Seeger went down to Mississippi to perform down there uh, during Freedom Summer. Judy Collins did. Harry Belafonte, who was both a performer and uh, uh, helped to um, help to finance finance mm-hmm. the movement. Uh, and there were other people that were pretty that became well known later. Barney Frank, uh, who was a long time long time congressperson from Massachusetts, was at Freedom Summer. Mario Savio, as I mentioned, who's who's more well known for the free speech movement in Berkeley in uh, the the next year, um, was down there. And uh, Heather Booth, a woman named Heather Booth, who went on to organize. Uh, uh, a, an organization called Citizen Action. She was there, and and there were a lot of um, other people who were lesser known who became more well known later on. I mean, basically, for them, and I assume for you, that that it uh, it well, kind of forged what what you were what your life would be like uh, to a certain extent. Oh, absolutely. My life changed uh, entirely. Uh, was I was by that experience. And the other kind, the other thing that I should say is that our project director of Laurel, um, who was I think the only woman project director of of any of the uh, Mississippi projects, uh, Zohara Gwen Simmons, is you know now fairly. She's in an, uh, a, one of the people that you do see on national uh, uh, public radio um, when questions about this era uh, do come up. Right. She was part of the uh, the PBS uh, Freedom Summer right. uh, uh, program, expert, show, yeah. documentary. And so one of the things you also mentioned was, so, you know, all, all of this, I mean, all of this is like this, all of these things that are that are happening, you're, you're uh, being thrown in jail, you're, you're, uh, your office being burned, your cars being torched, all of this is, is, um, is designed to scare you to terrorize you and to ultimately make you leave force force you to decide to go and and you mentioned that singing uh was among the things that uh sort of kept you together absolutely and when horrific things would happen we would gather and we would uh sing uh freedom songs and we would uh, stand in the uh, in a big circle in the, or uh, if there were too many of us we'd fill up those little churches and 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 sing and it really uh kept the the movement uh afloat i think and, and was, i still sing <laughs> i know and and not only that 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 was not just you uh, the the freedom um summer volunteers but it was also in black black, black Mississippians who it was in their it was their their churches and it was they were Absolutely. they were part of this as well and you you mentioned that their you were talking about their courage. Oh, the, the, well, the woman that that we stayed with, Miss Clayton, she uh, was just uh, they um, she, when we got there, her uh, house had all her windows nailed shut, and to protect uh, her, she was a single. A black woman who opened up her house to us. Uh, they killed her dog. That was a kind of um, 
another kind of you know terrorism right but i think it backfired i think a lot of a lot of us said well um they're not going to get away with this you know and and it, it because if you let fear in you would never be able to uh do the work that you were doing so how how beyond singing how would you how would you go about doing that i mean what well you a- admire each other you um you know you you felt um what that it was you were making making a difference and um and also it w- it was sort of there was a curiosity involved i i was a an act, i was a practicing catholic then and i would go to church and there's only a, a white there was only a church in the white community and finally after i'd been to church over i don't know 6 months um i went to the priest and sort of admitted about who i was i would dress up and cross the the line into the white community to to go to mass and i said how can you um live with n- not with your uh school being segregated and he just looked at me and he said if i had black st- kids in my school they would burn it down that was that was the answer and so there was terrorism um but we were above it <laughs> no. I mean you could have been killed that's true she just shrugged her shoulders <laughs> for, for those of you for those of you who can't see what we're doing uh yeah but you know i mean it's just a tremendous amount of courage I, I really admire everyone who you know she just shrugged her shoulders again you know <laughs> but seriously marion it's like this is major stuff you know i mean it's like uh not not many people put themselves purposely put themselves in that kind of dangerous situation. The the black community in Mississippi put thousands of them put themselves in that. But you could have left. Oh, for sure. And I could have not gone down there. Did you you ever consider while you were down there during the whole year that you were there? Did it ever did you ever seriously consider that I I need to go? No. No, because you do kind of get in this um uh, mindset of, you know, th- that it's important work, and it and if you leave, it, it's hard on the rest of the. It's sort of like you know um, when you hear about uh, soldiers in in Vietnam, and um, that they they're a ban- they're a a band, and that has had I think there was that same sort of yeah effect. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you hear more than one. There's been more more than one time where you hear soldiers say that their their primary job in Vietnam was to protect one another, to well, make sure that their buddies didn't get killed, and that and that was sort of the same kind of camaraderie that. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just when, <laughs> I remember at one point we said, "Well, let's." Speaking of having fun, let's go try bowling, and there was a bowling alley in Laurel, and um, it was segregated. Um, and I don't think a black person had put their foot inside it. We marched in the black and white together, but Lord, and and we kind of knew how bowling went, how to keep score. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, we were like, it was what do you call those things? Gutter balls. Yeah, yeah, gutter balls. It was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> but and then I thought. You know, someone that really doesn't like us. Those bowling balls are 
very heavy in there. They could be very useful weapons. So we, we left after not too long a time, but we said we had to learn how to keep score and at least, you know, get a strike once in a while. Yeah. Um, all right. So you were there. You were down in Mississippi for a year. So what So what all did you do after after the summer? Pretty much we organized around the Freedom Democratic Party Challenge. And so this so, was even after the Atlantic City no, Convention? No, no, no. That was – oh. we, we organized that effort. And right. so okay. we got – we canvassed the okay and and went from door to door. Uh, well, and you saw the little, um, you know, what are they called? Uh, um, shacks, shotgun shacks. Right. Um, we also after we had to move our office um, when after they burned burned us. So we we did we did that, but it's basically canvassing. And then people would sign Freedom uh, Democratic Party registration. So you, there was, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, you know, a paper tra- trail of all the people that were part of this operation. Right. And, and it also kept us in touch with the community. But but after so after the um, Democratic Party convention in Atlantic City, you were still you you were still down there for right. several months. Um, uh. Because you said you had been there for you were there was, for a year. I was there for a year. Yeah. So you must have been in there. You know, it was the Christmas of sixty oh, four. Well, the other thing, <laughs> yeah, we did was during the time we were I was down there, the civil the Civil Rights Act was passed. Right. And um, there were you know the the requirement for um, interstate commerce, uh, you know, restaurants was that they serve everybody. Right. So the bus station in Laurel. Uh, was clearly interstate, and they um, had um, just a, a lunch counter for white folks. So we went down, whites and blacks together, after the Civil Rights Act was passed, and they had set up um, a way to serve black folks. It was separate, but kind of equal. Uh-huh. And the, the the dishes they used for... Um, White folks had were different than the dishes they used for black folks, so we all sat up on the on the, at the counter, um, black and white next to each other. We ordered all ordered coffee, and they would serve the black uh, folks uh, coffee in one kind of cup. They'd serve the white folks in another kind of cup, right. and then we'd switch You'd them switch. <laughs> just to jug them. <laughs> another way to survive is to how would you describe that you cha- you're challenging the system in small well, in you're, small you're little thumbing your nose at them yes like, yeah you're hey. challenging them in small little ways you're just you know yeah. And, and yeah no it, it's uh do you remember what what your feelings were when you finally the day the um, the day that you drove out of mississippi well, it, it, it's I, you know. To be honest, I think I was collected by one of my relatives. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> finally, they succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when when I got uh, yeah um, back to the north, I this is very mundane, but I felt that everything was um, moving quite quickly, and that people spoke much more quickly. And that people thought much more quickly, and I'd just stopped. the very the pace of the life that you were experiencing. Oh, it was very different. Yeah, and um, 
I also had stopped smoking before, just before I'd gone south. Oh. And so it, I took up cigarettes again when I got back to the north. And, um, but I, I still stayed with the Freedom Democratic Party uh, and spent a year in Washington working on uh, pamphlet, working on entitlement programs that the black community could use in Mississippi, oh, oh, writing okay. pamphlets about how to access um, various welfare programs and things. And, and you eventually went to law school. Well, that was afterwards. I, yeah. Um, I and I before I did go to law school. I worked for the a, um, a poverty program in in the east side, east Manhattan, Upper East Side, no, oh, okay. Upper West Side. Okay. Uh, and and then went to law school because I felt like that lawyers that were active in the movement and it also, uh, you know, had been able to provide. A, a, a lot of assistance uh, for um, uh, not just the civil rights, um, you know, criminal, you know, the convictions for sitting in and stuff, but also uh, entitlements. But I want to let listeners know is, is um, while we've spent the better part of the last 90 minutes talking with Marion Davidson about her um, involvement in Mississippi during Free- Freedom Summer in Mississippi in 1964 and on, um, she has a whole whole bunch of other stuff that she's done in terms of being active with the uh, – see, you were, late, you were later on active New with York the New York radical, radical feminist movement right. in New York City. I burned City. my bra in Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that was a myth. No, that, no it's true. Okay, all there right. There was a big trash can. Okay. I'll tell you, the, the, the crowd that surrounded us – This was at the Miss America pageant in Atlantic exactly. City. You finally got to Atlantic City. <laughs> they were more scary than any redneck I met in Mississippi. <laughs> Interesting. Huh? I think it's this is the next thing that's going to come up. I think it has to do with Kavanaugh. Yeah. And I think it has to do with this whole business about um, changing the uh, rules for uh, college issues around um, sexual, sexual assault. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Betsy DeVos is, uh, is is quote unquote relaxing the rules so that those who are accused have have many more rights and and uh, and those who are um, are the victims have fewer rights. And uh, yeah, I think this is something we need to be really alert to. Yeah, and we we really we we had been hoping when we talked before um, before. Um, you came in that we would be able to spend a little bit more time sort of drawing, but, you know, drawing, um, sort of putting what happened, uh, the the activities that you were involved in 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 Mississippi back in the 60s and putting it into a a current day context. But, of course, in the era of Trump, there's a lot of a lot of rollback all the way around. And 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 those very forces that you were um, uh, that we're trying to terrorize you down in Mississippi are are emboldened now and more than ever. And racism, you know, we have a president who's a ra- who's a pretty much an avowed racist, even though he'll claim he's not. But it's pretty obvious uh, that uh, well, and people like John Lewis, who was active in the SNCC, who's who's been a congressman for many years, you know, has has been quoted recently as saying, um, you know, looking back. Over the last fifty years, 
you know, looking at these elections today, how, you know, how far have we come? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the struggle, you know, as as has been stated in, in by people and in song, freedom is a constant struggle. Exactly. And um, yeah. So there have been reunions, right? Uh, yeah. And have you, you've been to some? Just went to one in uh, 1994 uh-huh. in Jackson, and we went down to the, visit the courthouse in in Laurel, where uh, we worked, uh, 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 an integrated delegation, and and no one batted an eyelash. There were no sheriffs around. There were no dogs. Um, we stopped on the way to get some food at a you know a vegetable stand. No one acted like. There was something amiss. I mean, it was amazing how things seems to have seemed to have changed. Well, and they did change. I mean, I think yes. um, I think those of you who were participated in um, everyone who participated in in these kinds of uh, uh, civil rights struggles in the in the Deep South um, under threat of mayhem and and being killed um i think that um you created change that that what what you did helped to change the world really well and i th- i mean i think you, you there are people that are under threat today and and that we need to be more aware of um of what what is sort of not openly avowed uh but the whole alt right Sort right. of, uh, the, the, their ability to to act uh, with with no kind of um, rec- you know recrimination. Yeah, with impunity. Yeah, they're just getting. Yeah, yeah. We need a mass movement. I mean, that was and that's what that's what the civil rights movement was, and that's what the anti-war movement was back in those days. Was a, and there have been others since, of course. But that civil rights movement was a mass movement. I mean, Lyndon Baines Johnson didn't didn't sign the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Rights Act. Solely out of the goodness of his heart, he was he was pressured to do it. He was pressured by masses of people, people whose names will never be known, uh, not just the leadership, but people who just, you know, that's what a mass movement is. It's people in motion mm-hmm. demanding positive social change, and that's what happened, and we need that again. Yes, indeed. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks so much, Marianne, for coming in. I really, really appreciate it. Is there any uh, – I know we – you know, there's so much more that we could talk about um, – but I just want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything more that you want to say to our listeners about your experiences or today or just anything at all? Uh, well, two things. One is is to sing a song every day. And the other thing is um, climate change is going to throw us all into a whole new situation. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in, sisters and brothers. Uh, Power to the people, and don't forget to uh, sing your own song. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.